This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Thanks for spending part of your day with us. How often do you go to a restaurant for a meal? Well, according to data from research firm MPD Group and the U.S. Department of Agriculture, among others, we eat at home far more often than we used to. Part of that can be traced to the Great Recession, but many people with kids just prefer to have that time at home. Around 82% of meals were prepared at home last year. That's up 2% from a decade ago, but there's also been a significant increase in people getting food delivered. And we're not just talking about ordering pizza or getting a sandwich uh, delivered to you. Now you can get food from just about any type of restaurant, and thanks to services like Grubhub, Seamless, and Caviar, as well as online ordering systems, it's an option that's spreading to all parts of the country. The Wall Street Journal has been looking at this growing industry in a series of articles. Heather Haddon covers food retail and policy for the Wall Street Journal, and she joins us from Chicago. Heather, great to have you with us today. Thank you. So uh, in terms of the use of of these types of uh, of services right now, how prevalent are they at this point? So they're really growing. And we looked at both aspects of this, both restaurant delivery and grocery delivery. And starting with the grocery side, it's still a very small part of the market, something like two to three percent. But it has really grown and it's expected to grow quite a lot and be one of the few areas of growth in groceries. So people getting groceries uh, delivered to them at home through services such as Instacart or um, from their grocers themselves or from Amazon, of course. Then on the restaurant side, a lot of folks should be familiar with Grubhub, uh, DoorDash, Postmates. It seems like there's more and more of these services that have been popping up to work with restaurants and provide delivery for them. So once upon a time, it was just pizza delivery, you know, Domino's or Chinese food delivery. But now these third-party services have really expanded the types of delivery available to people and have really also expanded where they're servicing. So moving from, you know, their foundations in, say, the coast or the big cities into middle America. And I guess right now, the percentage of of third-party doing the delivery, when you're looking at the the restaurant industry, uh, is smaller in comparison to restaurants that are doing their own apps or they have online ordering themselves. But there's an expectation that that's going to switch over the next few years? Yeah, the third-party folks, uh, companies like Grubhub, like I was mentioning, really have accelerated. And again, there's a lot of money pouring into this space, a lot of investors very interested in this space, a lot of companies getting bigger and bigger valuations. And as part of that, they really need to show growth. So part of this is that the companies themselves are really pushing into new geographies, new terrain, trying to sign up uh, new uh, restaurants to show that growth and just more Americans getting interested in this. So Perhaps what was sort of a service for folks just without cars in big cities is now spreading to suburbs, to smaller cities, because people have just become more familiar with this and have have gotten a taste for it. How are the restaurants themselves doing in terms of of the profitability of having a a delivery service of some kind, whether it's it's a pickup at the restaurant or they are using a third-party service. The the profitability, I mean, the industry as a whole uh, runs on fairly tight margins to begin with. 
Yeah, so that's really the big debate here is there's no doubt that there's consumer demand for this. More and more consumers want the ease to be able to get whatever food they want when they want it and be able to eat it at home in the comfort of their home. But whether this is a good bet for the restaurants and grocers that are partnering with these services or building their own is still a real question. So the services can take anywhere from 10% on the low end on the grocery side to up to 25% or more uh, of a cut from the orders. Uh, These deals are all structured in different ways, but they do mean that the restaurants and retailers are making less money on each order. So for the big proponents, they say, you know, this is this is business we wouldn't have been getting elsewhere. Right. This is really significantly increasing um, where the customers were serving. So it's it's benefit to us. It's it's adding to our sales. But the naysayers say, you know, that may be true now, but that could that could be shifting. You know, it could be eventually people who might go to the restaurant and eat in are not going to do that. They're just going to get this delivery service. And a lot of that money is going to be going to this, the pockets of the third party and not the restaurant. But are they getting enough repeat customers through these services right now? And I think that's probably a question that, that remains out there is the frequency of how often people will actually order uh, you know, through a third party company. Yeah, and that's one of the other issues we explored in the series is how these companies are trying to turn customers from just sort of fly-by-night customers who are maybe motivated by a promotion or some kind of deal or a one-off situation to becoming subscribers or repeat loyal customers. So you've particularly seen this on the grocery side that a lot of them have started these loyalty programs where you pay a subscription just like Amazon Prime for an annual subscription, and then as long as you reach a certain threshold – the delivery is free. So some restaurants, uh, restaurant third-party services are also trying to do this because they really want to try to keep people loyal because that's really been a problem. We're joined by Heather Haddon of the Wall Street Journal. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. We're talking about a series uh, done by the Journal uh, looking at the food delivery industry. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. I, I think the the loyalty reward side of this is interesting, especially if it is the third party delivery services that are actually doing this, because I think there's an expectation out there that restaurants are going to do loyalty of some kind uh, to, to have consumers come back in. And, and I would think it would be a natural extension of kind of that industry as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so, and um, one point I also wanted to make is that on the loyalty side, a lot of the meal kit companies really have battled with this as well. I'm sure you're probably familiar with the Blue Aprons with yeah. the world. Yep. So they, they also all launched with subscription programs, which would um, mean that you would get a certain amount of meals per week um, and that these would come regularly. And they really saw a lot of interest in the beginning, in part fueled by these subscriptions, but it really has fallen off since. So, you know, when you're trying to invent a whole new category, it's tough. I mean, this is this is something that didn't really exist before, these meal boxes, and then um, they they had a bubble, and it seems to have cooled off a bit. So the restaurant and the grocery delivery services at least have 
going for them. These are established categories. This is something people are used to, uh, getting either restaurant or grocery food. Obviously, everyone has to go to the grocery store, um, but through this new and novel means, and they think they they hope they will have more staying power. You know, it's interesting. You talk about the, the meal kit industry cooling a little bit. Do In what you have found out in looking at uh, the restaurant side and the grocery side, do the consumers feel like they are getting the, the most value if they go down this route? Obviously, you're paying a little bit extra for the, the delivery, but do the consumers feel like that, that it is worth it for them in the end? I'd say, on the, especially on the grocery side, yes. I mean, the minimum threshold to meet these uh, requirements, if you have a subscription, are usually pretty reasonable, something like like on um, a shipped service is $35 per order. And one customer I talked to said, oh, I, I get that in, you know, with some dog food, some other stuff. Instantly I'm at $35. Um, and that the $99 service fee does pay off. But you really got to be loyal. So sure. you have to, this, is, this is people who are going to be using, um, doing their weekly shopping through these services. Uh, if you plan ahead and that makes sense for you, it can make a lot of sense. But if you want to be, you know, particularly if you want to be choosy, you know, going to this store, going to that store, getting, you know, your fresh meat here one place and um, and produce somewhere else, it, it probably won't be a good value for you. Heather Haddon covering food, retail, and policy for the Wall Street Journal. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio, B-I-Z Radio 132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. We're talking about the series of articles done by the Wall Street Journal, looking at the food delivery industry, a variety of different pieces to this story that the journal has been covering over uh, the last uh, two weeks or so. Again, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter, at BizRadio132, or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So, Heather, I guess I guess the question moving forward, well, we'll get Heather coming back in just one second. We're having a little uh, phone issue with her. We'll get her back in just a second. And one of the things I'm going to talk to her about is the fact that if there is going to be this growth of third-party companies uh, moving forward, third-party companies like uh, the food delivery services like Grubhub and Caviar, if these are companies that are going to be picking up the growth, my question is, why wouldn't we necessarily see restaurants invest more in it and, to a degree, cut out the middleman? Uh, I find it very interesting that with some of these restaurants, and we have Heather back with us. Heather, I was saying that it, should we have an expectation that restaurants themselves would want to invest more in this technology moving forward and to a degree cut out the middleman? Or do they feel that that is a burden in some cases that they don't want to have and they would rather just have the third party take care of it? I think it's really a mix and it really depends on the size of the restaurant, how big they are, you know, how meaningful delivery is. If, yeah. if delivery is really not a meaningful part of your business, it really doesn't make sense to try to find drivers, to try to develop the technology to do this. So it really depends first on the nature of your business. Then you are seeing some businesses split this. So there are some services now where they will handle just part of the service. So either they will build the the app and the online portal for you, but let right. you do the delivery your, yourselves or vice versa. And you're also seeing that on the grocery side, that there's 
services that are out there that will split up some of the services and let the restaurant or the grocery store themselves have a little bit more control over the service. Well, I would think also the type of restaurant has to play in here as well because you can kind of run the gambit of uh, of restaurants. You can get uh, you know more of a high end for dinner uh, if you want to to order and and have it delivered to you. But then you can go you know something for lunch and you know McDonald's does Uber Eats at this point. And I would think that that has to play in a, a significant role into how much a company is is willing to invest themselves or go third party in this situation. Right. Yeah. So it, it, again, it, yeah, it depends on the type of meal, the type of, uh, the type of um, day that you tend to be delivering. So what, what is interesting is a lot of these companies have seen a real benefit at odd times of the day. So right. some of them are saying that they're seeing a lot of delivery late at night, which is an, uh, which is an hour that they really don't see that much business with people, you know, getting, going through the drive-through or dining in, uh, also seeing more business, you know, between lunch and dinner. So this can benefit them at times where the kitchen would be slow anyway, which, you know, just as folks are idle and now this can provide a new stream of business for them. What about the, the, the areas in which these services are now popping up. And I, I mean that in terms of the difference between having a service in a city where you may have, you know, quite a few delivery people ordering from the local pub, the local restaurant, whatever it might be in a town for lunch in comparison to some of the more rural areas here in the United States. Yeah. And so I should emphasize, it's not true rural areas that are getting these services yet. So we're focused right. on expansion into these suburbs and smaller cities, which is sort of the next tier that these services are looking to expand in. So, you know, they started in major, major cities, and now they're moving into ones with certainly less than a million uh, people and some with areas that are the lowest 50,000. So these are, you know, throughout the country in, in middle America. I talked to a restaurateur in Mississippi who's getting a lot of business from this. And again, it's got to make sense. So yeah. this one this one restaurateur I talked to in Hadesburg, I mean, they, it's a big college town. They also have um, a big, you know, business sector there. So there you're certainly going to see demand. If you're in a truly rural area, this is just not going to make sense. So the companies are not, you know, moving into, you know, truly rural parts of the country yet. And, and a lot of them say they probably won't ever necessarily at this point this is where they're focused on there's got to be some volume and some demand to make it work the difference between size of business i I think obviously you mentioned it is is a significant piece here and and two of the articles that that are in this series one takes a look at starbucks and the other takes a look at walmart now obviously these are our two uh, global large brands and so how are they viewing the need to try and have delivery as part of their operations well, they absolutely are, but as both of those stories will show, there's a real mixed success for both of these company, companies and some risks involved. So with Starbucks, they have started to tinker with delivery in the U.S., but where they've really been focused is in China, which has a very strong delivery culture there that has existed earlier than a lot of places in the U.S. for a lot of businesses. So what they're focused on is delivering coffee. So people have, like to have their delivery of their coffee quickly in China, which is a logistical challenge in itself, given such a densely populated 
area uh, and country, but now they're facing local competition. So Luckin, which is a which is a Chicago uh, Chicago China based um, company, has really started to compete strongly with Starbucks, just as they have invested all this time and money into getting the packaging right for coffee, getting the transportation network set up, um, you know, making sure that their baristas there are equipped with this. But now they're facing local competition, which is making it much more challenging for them from a company that a lot of Chinese folks know already, Luckin. Walmart is really interesting there, too. So they have partnered with all kinds of third-party services to try to get the right fit for them. And, uh, and of course, Walmart is all over the country, so it varies a lot by geography as well. But they are finding that they are at the mercy of these third-party services and their drivers that don't always think that delivery makes sense for the fees that someone is willing to pay for it. So they've had some service issues that they've had to calibrate for, and it's really, you know, it's really still an experiment for them as they try to get this right. Heather Haddon of the Wall Street Journal joining us. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. One of the other aspects of this story that, that you highlight is the fact that in certain cases, you're talking about people that are using these services uh, from time to time because of the fact that they may not just have the time when they get home to cook dinner. Uh, they have kids that they have to worry about or they're running them to, you know, to, to practices at night. So in many cases, these are filling a void to be able to provide dinner uh, in a spot where somebody doesn't have a half hour or 45 minutes to go out back and cook a steak on the grill. Yeah, I mean, it really reflects the changing nature of our lives where uh, you know, many families, two, you know, two working parents who maybe commute quite uh, long distances for their jobs, work long hours, have a family, and want to have good food. I mean, one thing that some of the folks I interviewed said that these services are allowing them to have much broader range of food brought to them, even healthier food. You know, they're not just getting fast food delivered day to day. This is expanding the options for them. And, you know, they said that that's more important that, you know, paying for the delivery fees and the service fees is is less important to them than having food for their family to eat at home on a regular basis. One uh, one uh, reader who wrote in said that he gets delivery, I think it was Panera, delivered to his daughter's dance class so <laughs> that she can she can take her dance class and eat something that that she wants, and you know he doesn't have to worry about transporting it. It's, it's brought to her. So you know this really reflects how our worlds are changing, and families are trying to you know still eat together, eat try to eat well, but they need help, and they're they're turning to these services to do it. I would imagine though, and when you think about the delivery of food, you know it seems like it is a a, a fairly you know, cut and dry type of operation. But I would think that th- that there has to be a level uh, of innovation that, that has been uh, incorporated in this industry to make sure that that, that you are providing the, the food that needs to get to a certain spot, but also that a hot meal stays hot or a cool meal stays cool. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of innovation going on in this. So there's the actual uh, the ordering systems, the online ordering systems that we've all become very familiar with through, you know, through like Uber or Lyft, you know, it's 
just on demand, you know, linking the drivers with the order and creating these marketplaces. But then there's all the packaging and uh, infrastructure that needs to be done to get the food to someone hot or cold, you know, in the case of groceries, also to keep perishables fresh and safe uh, before and not spoiled before they get to someone's house. And then there's actual changes that are happening that customers don't even see, you know, how the restaurant is equipped to handle all this volume of orders, how the grocery store is equipped to handle this new whole flow of um, customers. So there's a lot of back back-end changes that have had to be made by companies to make this work. What about, uh, we talked a a little bit about grocery because grocery is an interesting industry in in that, uh, and I just saw it uh, when I went to the store the other day, and that Sunday is still traditionally the day that a lot of people go to the grocery store. They get in the car and they still go there to get their groceries. But I would think that there's a belief that that may change, especially if these third-party companies get this right to the point where you can get the delivery, the food will stay still cool if it needs to stay cool when it comes to a person's house. Yeah, so again, the vast majority of food is still, groceries are still bought in stores, but that is really changing. And there's a lot of flexibility that these services can provide. You know, Amazon has really made same-day delivery kind of the marquee service and more and more Customers are expecting that. So through Whole Foods, you can get, if you're a Prime member, free same-day delivery. And that really does change how you think about when you want to go to the grocery store, when the appropriate time is. If you want to you know, spend Sunday with your kids playing outside instead of going to the grocery store, I think that is an appealing option for more and more Americans, um, as it has been all across the world. I mean, food delivery is something that the U.S. in some ways is catching up with Europe and Asia has really been heavily invested in this for a lot longer. Heather, thanks very much for your time today. All the best. Okay. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you. Heather Haddon at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, that series, by the way, is up on their site, uh, which you can go look at it uh, right now, a five-part series looking at the food delivery service industry. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 